WKCRFM New York, this is Jazz Alternatives. Welcome to 89.9 FM or HD1 or maybe your WKCR.org. In any case, my name is Mitch Goldman. We call the show Jazz Alternatives, but uh, tonight we're doing a special program we call Deep Focus. And what we do in Deep Focus is uh, we will find live recordings of a favorite artist and have a musical guest with a special insight into the artist that created them. And we have a, you know, they talk about uh, like wine and cheese, a, a pairing. This is a fantastic pairing tonight. We're talking about the music of Sun Ra and I can't think of anybody I take more delight in introducing to experience this music with than trombonist, composer, band leader, conceptualist, educator, Craig Harris. Welcome to WKCR. Hey, Mitch, it's always good to be here with you and WKCR. And, uh, you know, to talk about this deep subject matter, we're going to talk about, we're going to get real deep. And it's, you know, just to share you, to share with you about, like, how, how I come about this, how I come to this. Like, as this is the layperson, how do we, how do we experience Sun Ra? <laughs> yeah, where do you start? <laughs> for me, for me, it was, you know, it's been next year to be 40 years. I met Sun Ra 40 years ago. I was a student at State University of Old Westbury and Pat Patrick, Pat Lordine Patrick, a baritone saxophonist uh, who was one of the original members of Sun Ra. He taught at State University of Old Westbury where I was attending school. And Pat, uh, you know, I had graduated and I was sitting out on, in the courtyard and Pat said, well, okay, school's over. What you going to do? You know, it's over now. <laughs> school is over. What are we going to do now? I said, I don't know, Pat. He said, well, come down to uh, the bottom line. The bottom line, for those who don't know, the bottom line was a club. It was on Merce, Merce and 4th Street. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That West, sounds right. West, around Westmore. And it was, a, it, was incredible, it was an incredible music venue. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. All kinds. I mean, across the board. I, I mean, it was a mainstay, I guess, an iconic kind of situation in New York lifestyle at oh, the time. Oh, no question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, he, he came. He said, "Come and sit in with the band." And I had heard the band, and I go back. We 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 come that, and I sat in with the band, and uh, you know, I just sat in. And then after the band, I said, "I said, how you doing?" And I said, "Okay." He said, "You have a passport," and I said, "No." He said, "Go get a passport because we're leaving next week. We're going to uh, on tour," and that was, and uh, we were supposed to go to uh, Paris for like uh, two weeks, and we left, like we left around July. 8th, 7th, 1976, and we came back October 
around 28th. Wow. <laughs> and, and as I was talking to the young person, it was before it was that time where he only had a couple of real big, big gigs. He had, he had, he had booked Montreux, and you know, as a person who had been through this, he had booked his pillar gigs. Right, right, and right. So, so it was that time when you could barnstorm and you can get, if you can get the band over there, and we found a hotel, we stayed in Paris at the Hotel S, and we were there for like three months, and that was our base, and like, and he just barnstormed. There was a guy named Richard Wilkins worked with him, incredible manager, one of the, one of the best people I ever saw do this business. And Danny Thompson, who was a baritone, him, him and Pico, we call Pico, and they were just, you know, enabled to uh, just keep the band working. And while we was living there, they'd get a call from somebody in, like, in Pescara, Italy. Oh, the band is here. We don't have to pay the air for everything, so just take the bus down. Then we come back. We go back to the back to the mattresses, I would say, <laughs> and just hang out at the hotel two days. Then they get another call, and we just go. go and we worked at a club called Jabus in Paris all the time. So it was a real, it was a real time. We worked a lot. And that's how I, that's how I, that's how I started experiencing. That seems like the kind of band that kind of needs to work a lot to just like it's like a well-oiled machine. You gotta kind of have that flow, I would think. Very much so. Very much so. Very much so. And uh, there's nothing any 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 anything you do in life. If you do it, the more you do it. The better it is. I I, I hope so. Right, <laughs> I, right. I would hope. I can't say until, that. No, until it starts getting worse. You know. You, got, you know. No, that's not guaranteed. I take that back. You know. You would hope that it would get things would yes. get. You, not even get better. Better is not the word. You get an understanding of things. Yes. Because it can get better and it can it can just go slip too. So <laughs> there's a little there's a little unknowable factor in there maybe, but and so uh, we got there and. Uh, we uh, we just I, we called it barnstorming. You know, one of, one of the one of the highlights of my life. I really look at it. I, you know, always in hindsight, you look at things and you say, "Man, we were like four months just in you know every day." And the days we were off, we rehearsed. <laughs> I know everybody thought we, was, but he like he was he was he was a, a was a, a meticulous rehearse. He loved to rehearse, and and it was good for me as a as an aspiring composer arranger to just you know, in a sense. Every day around one o'clock in, at, at the hotel, if we were off, we'd get that call like, "Okay, rehearsals in Sunrise Room or Pico's Room or Rich's Room," and he bring we, we just like it was twenty three of us traveling, but he usually just he'd have all the horns come in, and uh, we he would just write out arrangements, and I would I would I would see him write out arrangements, and that was that was really the lessons that was so it was like arranging a class in uh, orchestration class for me. Because I would just watch him distribute uh, the information to the band and take our time and just get it tight. And uh, it was what the beauty of the band was, and the beauty of Sun Ra, more so than anything, Sun Ra really uh, used all of the elements around him to the fullest. And the most different elements, he was in, 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 in the tradition of Duke Ellington, like you have all these different kind of personalities, these different colors, these things, use it. And that was the beauty of him because he had. At that time, uh, the veteran musicians in the band were John Gilmore, the great John Gilmore, who had been with him from most of the beginning, Pat Patrick, who had been with him for, so this was like 76, so these people had been with him since 53, 54. So that's <laughs> that's a long time. And Marshall Allen, who runs the band now, uh, Al Evans, Danny Davis, uh, Clifford Jarvis, the drummer, so he had this group of veterans who had been working with him at least 
20 years and more. And then he had a, a whole group of new people. Uh, in fact, this is the, the, the great French horn player, Vincent Chancey. He and I joined the band the same day at the, at the bottom line. And so this was our first gig. And we'd just get there together, and we would learn it. And Sun Ra would write out the parts, give it to us. He had, sometimes he would have a score. Somebody didn't have a score. And then I would look at Marshall's music, and Marshall had a stack of music about three, four feet high. And well, that you know, people talk about uh, a band leader having a, a book, meaning the set of music that he might go through on any given night. Yeah. I don't. I think you kind of have to use the word library with Sun Ra rather than the book. Right. I mean, he's his knowledge and the volume of stuff that he composed and. The things that he might decide to play on any given night. Some, and we've got, we haven't talked about the recordings we have tonight. There are some recordings where he goes, he's playing music out of the mothballs from these territory bands from the 30s that people, I don't know how many people would remember even then, let alone now. And uh, the whole range of pop music, of American music, of, and his music, and improvised music. It's uh, vast, it's, and 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 that's what. I, and Mitch, you hit on a good point because this was this was a vast individual, and we're talking more about him as we go along. But the sense of just to be there and to to watch this person, and then to watch him in performance every night, to watch him in performance, and and to see how he dealt with all of these different different colors that he had. He had some players in there who were textural, textural. They played texture. They played, they, that was their thing to play texture. He had musicians in there who played chordal information, diatonic information. He had musicians in there who danced. He had dancers. He had percussionists. So he had he had this grand palette, you know. And as as a as an aspiring composer, it was like class every day, every day. And to watch how he uh, programmed his his shows, it was it was in the sense of this, the true sense of a ritual, and and in the most positive sense, a circus. In the sense of the, like fifty rings going on, like we would play like these tetri- like Fletcher Henderson's music, he'd touch on something like Yeah Man, and this stuff that was recorded by Fletcher Henderson, and we would listen to the I, yes for the young people we listened to records then with a turntable, right. so, so we had a turntable. I'd go learn my parts on the turntable, and he would write the parts out, and I, but I still had to go listen in, to the turntable and learn the, learn the music. And then to jump into this 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 uh, this vamp with just percussion with with uh, when he was he had one of Robin Moog Moog's or Moog oh yeah Moog yeah 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 well, he had he had Robin Moog he had two of Robin Moog's first instruments and to watch him lay this this, this, this the the original synthesizer right 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 a little box like you know it was a little box and to watch him lay down these, these incredible ethereal patches over this percussion level so. I, I got it all. It was like, whoa. It was it was like that. And then to watch Gilmore, John Gilmore, who was a saxophone player, every night, I had never been around somebody that played like that. I mean, just consistent. And it was like, if you want to play, this is what you, this is this is the bar. It's set, it's set right here. It was set. And every night, I'd sit there, and I'd say, whoa. And he said, if you, he never said, because Gilmore, John didn't talk a lot. Yeah. He, he was he was demonstrative. And he just would play something every night, and I'd be like, "Whoa, whoa!" And every night it's like, "Whoa!" And he's, and then you say, "This is the, this this what this is about. This is what this was this was this about." So it was it was so good to join the band when they went into into that part because we were together for like three four months, all all the time. There was 
a myth you would hear. There were a lot of myths you would hear oh, about man. Sun Ra back yeah, then. Right. The, a lot of myths. That's the myth. The myth. The myth of the myth. <laughs> Some of them maybe that he started, but others that, uh, you know, they just were in the air. And you reminded me of something that I remember hearing back then that, and talking about his skills as an arranger, that he could he could write something for you. And he could write something... He would hear the way you'd play, and he could write something that would make you shine. Or he could write something that you couldn't play. And he had this ability to just confound you with his writing, something that, like, that even, and even that he had written the story, that he'd written this piece that Coleman Hawkins couldn't play, the greatest of all the instrumentalists, because he, you know, just had this, this superpower. Does that we got, well, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about the mythology and the mythological thing. But, of course, I mean, you can write something somebody can't play. Yeah. And, and I could understand that. But more so important, he knew from listening to you and kind of he had a sense of, of, of what, what your capabilities were. And he could he can put you in a situation that you shown. It's like it's like these NBA playoffs that are going on right now. It's like this Cleveland team, they don't have this Kevin Love, they don't have this Kyrie Irving, and so they had to change their whole game. And and they changed it. and those for people who are not sports, that means they just had to change how they played to to make the best with what they did. So if you were if you were a banger, he put you in a banger position. If you were a finesse player, he put you in a finesse player. And and so very much so, very much so. I and I marveled at that. And and that and that was the beauty of the show because he had all of these different kind of musicians with just different capabilities. And and that that's the beauty of Sun Ra and his music because you could come in, you could learn about extended improvisation in the sense of textures. You could learn about chordal information in, in, inside of changes and stuff like this. You can learn about uh, theatrical presentation with him. There was just, he just covered, he, he had it all covered. He had it, and he had people in his, uh, his groups to, to cover it. He had some musicians who weren't the best musicians, but they, they could drive a truck. So somebody had to drive that truck to Rome, to Amsterdam. <laughs> you mean literally <laughs> driving right. a truck? Right. I thought you but, meant like driving the band. No, yeah, you know, drive so with the equipment in <laughs> Gotta it. Got to drive the truck with with the equipment in it. Yeah. You know, you know, he had, he had, he had. Then he had people who just they just played the instrument, like John Gilmore just played his instrument, and he, that was his job to play his instrument, and help lead the band. There was a function in there. So when I when I saw that, I said, okay. There's a lot for me to learn, and it gives me a lot of room to to do, which is which is probably in my whole concept to this day, you know, and no more, no more. And so to experience that 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 was, uh, uh, as I was telling the young person who was in it before, it was just a beautiful time in New York City. In in the sense of, I think there was a little more cross fertilization with the groupings of musicians. I think people cross fertilized and worked in different things because we were close. We were a closer community because we were pretty much down between 14th Street and, uh, I guess, Eldridge between uh, <laughs> 7th Avenue to the East River. I mean, that was, I'm not saying everybody lived there, but that was, that was, a, that was a hotbed because you could walk down 7th. I lived on 21st Street and uh, between 6th and 7th at Warren Smith Studio West. That was my, that's where I lived. And if I walked from 21st Street down to Houston, I'd run into right? <laughs> every night. I'd run into everybody. I, I got a lot of work that way, you know. And then, and then I walked down. I walked down to 
Seventh Avenue. Then I get when I got to uh, A Street, I'd cross and walk east to, over to the East Village, and I would just run into. I mean, that's where I met a lot of people. I met. I mean, that's where I met. Oh no, that's where me and Olu Dara, the great trumpet player, that's where we hooked up one night. I was walking and I met him on the street, and we just was talking and became great friends. It was not to be nostalgic, but New York was a different place, and we said that because it, coming back into uh, the realm of. Of real estate, real estate, and you, you phrased that. How did you say? What are you saying about real estate? I said you could look at the whole history of this music just through the lens of New York City real estate. Exactly. Which is kind of crazy, but uh, they, it does kind of line up in certain ways. Very Access m- people have to things and the ability to make choices. Right, and, right. Because because and and I'm on the. The, the, I guess I'm in town when they call this great loft period, this loft period. But before that, uh, Amiri Baraka and Sunrise, and them, they were in the East Village at Slugs and around the corner. So this was going on. And uh, it was it was more affordable to live in the city. And so I know a lot of, at that time, really, a lot of musicians had venues like Jolie Wilson, the great singer. He had a place called Ladies Fort. Sam Rivers, the great tenor saxophonist, he had Studio Rivby. Uh, I'm going to miss somebody. I know Dave Holland had a loft down there somewhere. Um, Studio Weed, Enveron. There was there was a, a lot of places where musicians started to play in these in these lofts and uh, got a chance to develop. They got a chance to develop. And uh, I know when they changed the uh, the zoning, I think around during Mayor Koch's. Uh, uh, what his terms, and I think they, that that changed a lot of that because uh, they they uh, they were zoned no more where you couldn't live in these spaces anymore. But uh, a lot of musicians had these spaces. Barry Ashler, uh, I could they just name him. Uh, somebody named Arthur Williams, uh, Studio We. And the and this was you go and it was a good, it was also a good place to network and congregate. And War, uh, Warren Smith with Studio Wiss, and. Yeah, so you know, real estate is real important now because everybody now, a lot, I, I, I don't, I'm not out as much as I used to be, but uh, a lot of people don't live here anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that kind of concentration and that kind of stirring of the pot out in the street mm-hmm. is transformed. But you know, other things maybe take its place. Always, always. That's what I find out because I've been coming, I've been going out now like at midnight and just to see what's going on. And it's healthy. The music is healthy. There's a yes. lot. There's a large, large group of young people that's carrying on and just hanging, hanging in there. But you know, back to Sunrise, it was, uh, it was that time. It was just an open time for me, real open. In fact, the first time I heard the band, I was at a place in Brooklyn called the East, which is Ten Claver Place. Which it was an iconic place for the music, like in uh, late late sixties, early early seventies. And I remember I went in there, and it was the first time. But I was prepared because I've been reading my books. You know, I'd read my <laughs> books. There were great books. I read Mary Baraka's Blues People, Black Music. I read all this thing about this man, Sunra. And I went in there, and it was just like just like the book said. And they played for about three, four hours. I said, "Whoa!" <laughs> and then I would go see them at the East. And then I went to see them at the five spot, and so I was uh, I was kind of prepared for when I set in that that I wasn't going to be shocked, and uh, just to uh, just to do that uh, in a sense of uh, so when I went and set at this uh, at the bottom line, I was I was prepared in the sense of what 
I was prepared for the un- prepared to be unprepared. Exactly, <laughs> prepared for the unexpected because right. anything can go. And like you know, we're playing, and you know, I'm at that time. I'm I'm learning sequences, and then all of a sudden he says, "Okay, you play. Play what? You play. <laughs> and you just stand up and you play. And, and and what what key? No, you play. You just play. That was you know." That's, that's, that was different, and it was funny, and we went through it every night. And then it was like every night there was going to be those kind of sections. There were certain parts that were structured, and you had to play through the changes or play through the rhythms. And then there were other things that were just very open where you had, you had to create your own texture. And that was the beauty of the band. That was the beauty of, that's the beauty of his whole concept. Craig Harris is my guest tonight. Right. We're going to roll, as Mitch says. We're, we're rolling already, man. <laughs> right, but, you know, you, 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 you brought up some great things. You know, I talked to you the other day, and you, you, you went in there, and you brought up some great uh, recordings. I don't know if they're so, uh, what's the term? Are they hard to get? Oh, they, are, they are hard to get, yeah. We have some magnificent recordings for you right. from the WKCR archives. Right. Uh, live, unreleased right. recordings, and we're going to dive in right now. We, I was thinking we'd play this recording from Bremen, Germany, from 1985, but hearing you talk about what was happening in the 70s kind of makes me want to hear that uh, that one from Silver Spring, Maryland, but why don't you choose? You either Any way you want to go is good. Okay. For, okay. You know, in, fa- in fact, uh, I'm even on this recording. This was like uh, we're we're going to play some, and I'm going to tell, tell you which one we're going to play. Uh, let's play, uh, let's play, uh, I think, uh, is uh, A-Train on there? I will tell you in a moment. Uh, I don't believe it is. Okay. I think uh, what we've got, there's a, oh, there's a ton of great stuff. Uh starts with the Shadow World. Uh, you've got Spaces the Place, I'll Never Be the Same, Yeah Man is on there, King Porter Stomp. Let's play Yeah Man and King Porter Stomp. From uh, Silver Spring? Silver Spring. Oh, man, this is some stuff. I, I, why don't we just start at the top of the set? Okay, all right, yep, let's do that. that. Is, it, is that all right? Okay, okay yeah. This is, this is a recording I'm on, and, and then I'm going to talk to you more about it, because uh, this, this was just very important, because Mitch, I hadn't heard, this, I've never heard this before, and Mitch <laughs> sent it to me, and I said, whoa, that's like, <laughs> you know, that's a long time ago. So this, we're, it's March 18th, 1977. We are in the uh, suburbs of Washington, D.C., in Silver Spring, Maryland. And uh, a place might sound like an unlikely name to you, the Showboat Lounge at a restaurant called Villa Rosa. Right, Andre. And this is, I don't know if people know, Silver Spring is like burbs. Right, you don't it, really think right. of this is like a Sunra musical hotbed kind of experience. But I guess one another of the mighty powers of the orchestra is you guys went everywhere. Yeah, and we talk about that. No matter money or nothing, nothing, nothing <laughs> mattered with Sunra, but about getting the music to people. Yeah, and 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 money, money was never an issue. Like if you have, if we can get there, he was going to get there. That was that. That's uh, you know, it's just. Another another time, another time. In fact, and the reason we got there was because there was a guy, and I forgot Andre's name, but Andre was like an entrepreneur in uh, Washington, D.C. area. He was a friend of ours, too. He was our friend. 
Uh, he also ran that place, Kilimanjaro, when it was in Washington, oh, yeah, D.C. Oh, yeah, yeah. Adams Morgan. I remember right, that place. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Andre, Andre. I remember this guy. Andre. And Andre was a sunra, like he was in the sunra. And I remember we didn't have no hotel. I remember we stayed in Andre's basement. We slept. We had like some pallets on Andre's basement. Wow. And it was, it was you know, it was, it, was on the, it was hard on the grind. But like you're 21, 22, and you're going to D.C. And uh, we played seven nights. We played seven nights. And uh, that, was, that was that. Wow. Well, the lineup for the band at this time. So spring of 77, you've got Ahmed Abdullah playing trumpet. Akhtal Eba uh, on trumpet, Craig Harris, our guest tonight on trombone, Vincent Chancy on French horn. This is a big uh, brass section yeah. for Sun Ra, I would say, relatively speaking. The classic reed section, Marshall Allen, Danny Davis, altos, John Gilmore, tenor saxophone. Uh, also, they're all playing other instruments, flute, percussion, etc. Elo Omo, bass clarinet, flute, and percussion. Pat Patrick on alto, Danny Ray Thompson, baritone saxophone. James Jackson, bassoon, flute, and of course, the, drum. the ancient Egyptian infinity drum. Uh, and then there's a little bit of a question on the rest of the uh, musicians, but um, possibly, maybe you could tell us. Um, drummer, there's, it's, uh, I've, Luke Manali's Luke Manali, name. Luke Manali. It was, okay, Luke, great. Luke Manali. And uh, Tommy Bugs Hunter's name is here as and well. And Bugs, Tommy Both? Yeah. yeah, Bugs. Uh, Very important name, which we'll come back to. Takatun, Takatun, Kungas, yeah, that's all, that's all. And bass is Shuby uh, Doo, Shuby Doo, or Hayes Burnett. You know, that's the, I saw that. I said because I remember playing with Shuby Doo in uh, Detroit. I don't remember him in there, but he could have been. Cause he he might have got around. But always that was that was the thing about the orchestra. You never knew. Like there was always a core. The band was core. But any place we go, we about ten musicians would join us. And we go, we, 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 and we, and that's, and that's the mythology and mysticism. We go around the summer, but anywhere we go, we go, there'd be like about nine, ten musicians who had this relationship with Sunrise, and they would be, they, they would just get on the bandstand with us. And, and this is when I'm telling you about the mastery of how he used all of these different colors, like these well, finesse, disciplined colors, how to right, create right. that, and then all of a sudden just break all that apart with this collage and with the power with these other ten people. It was like. He, he was a master. He was mm. a master at it. He knew how to. He knew how to. He knew how to shape it. I didn't mention the vocalists and dancers. Oh yeah, of course, June Tyson. Uh, pro, there's a probably Cheryl Banks and Judith Holton. And yeah, Mundo. And Eddie Thomas. And, te, and Ted. Ted Thomas. And yeah. Ted Thomas. Right. Um, so there it is. All right. Well, March we are seventy-seven. Right. March eighteenth, nineteen seventy-seven. We're getting in the WKCR chopper. Setting the Wayback Machine? Right. This is way back, y'all, for you Fidelity people. Like, So this is when <laughs> yeah. I'm sure somebody had a little tape, and they put it in front of the band and recorded it because I, we, didn't see, we didn't have this kind of technology that they have now. But, but, here it is. Right. We can hear it. We can experience it. It's pretty magical. Okay, so um, if, you, uh, yeah, if you have a problem with uh, low fidelity, hey. Enjoy the music. That's right. That's Listen right. Listen to the music. Get with it. Craig Harris is our guest. It's Sun Ra Radio and WKCR. Mitch Goldman with Deep Focus. We gotta, we gotta crank up this old cassette deck. You know, we haven't used it. A cassette. A cassette. Listen to the music. I haven't used this cassette deck since. A cassette. You said a word. Some people don't know what a cassette deck is. That's right. That's right. We got the uh, got the the Edison wax cylinder machine. 
Got to just blow the dust off it a little bit. It's going to be good as new. I can set. You ready? I don't know. I don't know if we're ready. <laughs> oh, I think we're ready now. I think we're ready now.
Oh, 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 man. That, and that's what I was telling you. <laughs> I think about that expansive, that kind of expansive communication with people. Like, we started with that shadow worlds, you know? Yes. And, and you know, that stretch, that stretched out, that, that long palette of that, the, the synthesizers just laying out these orchestrations that he's these spontaneous orchestral kind of colors with these synthesizers. And then and, Gilmore, right, in, on that. And that was the, that was the thing, like you know, that's every night on Shadow World. It was like they played. There was uh, Danny Davis and Danny uh, and Marshall Allen. We call them Deputy and Dit. So it's Dit and Dep. <laughs> uh, they'd get up and they play this melody, and John played this melody with him. This is this kind of angular melody over this kind of pulsating kind of line, and then the solos were like extended, open, and someone would look at you and you just stand up and blow. And you blow, and you just sit, then you sit down. Then a lot of times the band would just stop, and you'd be out there by yourself, and you play. Then they'd come back in with the collage. It's let's just hold this sonic collage, and just you would just play. And uh, I used to watch John Gilmore do this, and he was really a master at this uh, ex- extended techniques. And so, and so, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's of, doing things the saxophone was never meant to do. And uh, he would he would have these high sounds, these high pitches going on. And and that's 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 understanding, you know, to play, you know, everybody squeals more get high. But then on the bottom you would hear the lower overtones ringing at the same time. That's where you discuss it. Uh-oh. And 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 it was a beautiful thing because that's when you know that this this is a master. He really have control of it. And uh you know, it, it started me in that kind of thing of how can I you know, develop this thing like with this high pitch moving on the top and moving, and then the bottom overtones ringing, and then you create the sign of sound. And he used to do it every night, and it was just amazing. You hear that? You hear that, people? You hear that sound? That's the sound of Craig Harris talking about Sun Ra. But what that also is, that that is our show. We call the show Deep Focus. Oh, man. That's why we call the show Deep Focus. You're listening to WKCR. Right. My name is Mitch Goldman, here with you from 6 to 9 p.m. here as part of Jazz Alternatives. And, uh, yes, we are we are deep in it. Because, and, and remember, <laughs> this is, people think, I've never heard this before. This is the first, this is right. the beauty. I, you know, I, you know you, you, I've, I've, I've just listened to this for the first time by my, with you. I haven't, I haven't heard this since March 18th, 1977. This, you are, these are, there's a great wealth of recordings of Sun Ra available to you to purchase. You can get them all the places that you buy music. You probably won't find this particular recording because it's from the KCR archives. We're in Silver Spring, Maryland, March of 1977. And uh, we do encourage you to get as many and as wide a variety of Sun Ra recordings as you can. Right. And that's and, there's a, and it's a broad variety, because I just told you, we just started that open thing with the spaces, the place, then they went into this this duo with this, this organ synth kind of pitch, and that was, uh, as I was saying, uh, then Pat Patrick joined in, I, you know, and I heard, and maybe because of that time, I heard something in the back, and then we, we went into the anthem, which is spaces, the place, and, uh, you know, just that driving force. So he, Sun Ra, was, people have to understand, Sun Ra was born 1914. We just finished his centennial year, you know. And so he had this, he had this, this grand thing of he wasn't, he was, he wasn't totally alienated from the common person. 
He knew how to touch people. He knew how to touch people, but he also knew how to expand. So when you went to his concert, it was like a ritual, like, you know, yeah, you're going to get something which you want, but you're going to get some things that you ain't never heard before. And that's and that, that's, that's just the perfect example of just what happened when, you know, I know like people are, wait a minute, what's going on here? What's, that's how people are like, wait a minute, what's happening here? They, and then they just like, boom, they just jam in hardcore. And uh, he had it down. And uh, and for the, for, for, the, for the audio files, the recording was probably done by a man named uh, Bugs, uh, Tommy Hunter, who was the drummer. Was, he, was, he was one of the drummers on this. And Tommy Hunter goes back to one of the Sun Ra original trio in Chicago, 1953-54. Uh, Charles Davis or one of them could correct me on this, at the time, but I think it was around 53-54, and they played uh, Club Delisa or something. They played trio, uh, Bugs, Patrick, uh, Pat Patrick, and Sun Ra. And the thing about Tommy Hunter, about Bugs was he recorded all the time. Going, he had he had one of them old tape recorders. You know, like, in two microphones, and he recorded yeah. everything, and he always put the thing close to sunrise. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I can only be thankful that he did that, and that somehow this found its way into our collection. So you wasn't going to miss the organ. So the organ, <laughs> no, so the, or, the organ is, you know, I, th- I think, I think honestly, that they could have found a little better space, that we would have got a <laughs> we're, more. We're not, sound. we're not, we're not, but we're not. Uh, not giving Dr. anybody a hard time today. And 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 Bugs, Tommy Hunter lived out in Queens somewhere. Him and Pat Patrick, they lived there. They were good friends. And uh, it's really, I don't know what happened, but this man had a wealth of the archive. He had a wealth of the archive. And this is, this is I'm, I'm so glad to hear this, Mitch, because it makes me really hear, you know, I'm, I'm reviewing, because we had just came back from Africa. This was 1977. They had the, the second... Uh, World African Black Arts Festival in Lagos, Nigeria. The first one was in Dakar in 1966 that Duke Ellington performed by President Senghor. Of, 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 he gave the festival. Then they had the next festival in 76. 76. 70, 76. Yeah, 76. No, they had a festival in 77. We had just came out of 77. And uh, it was funny... Uh, we were going to this. This is this is a long story, but it's, it just puts everything together about sunrise. Conception. Not going anywhere. We're not, oh nobody, man, nobody's uh, rushing you. You know, we had came back and we uh, we came back January. Okay, so we had we went to Festac, and uh, it was uh, it was uh, they sent the American contingent from uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, Washington D.C. Uh, Hakeem Mahabuti and uh, Jeff Donaldson uh, and a couple other people they were organizing. And, uh, man, in a sense of, and this is my first time going to Africa, so I'm I'm excited because I'm going to Africa to the homeland the first time. And this is real, this is deep. So we don't know if we're going, going, then we finally get the thing, y'all going. We're going, we're going, all right? So this this is the first thing. So we get on the plane. It probably was it seemed too good to be true. Oh, man, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. We're just going. 25 deep. He's taking 25 people with him. So we get on the airplane. We get on the airplane, and everybody get in their seat, and we get on the airplane. So we take off, and, you know, meeting all these people I'd seen, you know, I mean, from the, the, the tribes from all over the United States that gathered in New York to go to represent Africans on this continent and, and homeland. So I'm sitting next to this guy, and he has on, like, a like a, 
tan blue, I mean a tan uh, like fatigue kind of thing with some stripes on it and stuff. And I really didn't notice them. And so I'm sitting and we're sitting in Sunrise, all the whole band's on. And so me and this person, we start talking. We're talking, we're talking, and we're talking about things. And we're just talking, and he's just talking. This guy is way, I'm saying, this man is, and we're talking, and he said, well, you're a musician. What do you do? And I tell him what I do. I told him I went to study with Ken McIntyre, and I just, at State University, and I'm talking. And we're talking like, this is, remember, six, seven-hour ride, and we're talking all the way. And we're just talking, we're talking, and I'm just talking. And then all of a sudden, when we get there, then we arrive in there, and then a whole bunch of people rush up to this man, and they just take him off. And they just he just goes off. And I'm like, okay, and that's, I wonder who that is. And then people come up to me, Craig, you know who you were sitting next to? I said, no. Louis Farrakhan. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and this, is when, this was Louis Farrakhan. Uh-huh. And this is when he was like low profile, like he was like in the low profile. The nation was going through a lot of changes. In fact, his sister lived up on 100 near my neighborhood now, where I'm at now. And uh, this is, I'm, I'm talking to Louis Farrakhan all the way for six, <laughs> seven hours and, you know, just nonstop and not really, not putting it together. I knew right. who Louis Farrakhan was, but he didn't say his name and he had on a, just, you know, so I'm just sitting, I'm just talking to him and just a whole bunch of now. And the, and the whole thing is my mentor, Ken McIntyre, Louis Farrakhan, grew up with, they grew up in Roxbury, oh, Boston no together. Yeah, wow. they grew up in, in Shashi McIntyre, my Mac and his wife. They grew up with him. There's, in fact, there's a beautiful picture on Ken McIntyre's uh, website of him and Louis Farrakhan as kids. But they all grew up in Roxbury. Roy Haynes, but he's older than them. Right. But, uh, and this is Louis Farrakhan, and and he and I'm I'm saying Ken McIntyre, but he doesn't say anything. He doesn't divulge. He just he huh. just like real low keyed, and he yeah. just talks, and he's dropping. We talking, and he's and he's speaking on a very just open, like we talking. Well, seventy seven wasn't that right around the time that he was stepping up? I think uh, following. Right, it was that time. It was you know there was a whole period where Malcolm had got killed, assassinated, and there was a whole period, and he was like laying low, and he, then this was the, this was the time when he started to lay in to start to take over. I don't, I, I really I don't like remember when Elijah Muhammad. It was, was right around seventy-seven. We got our thing. We need to check when Elijah right. Muhammad passed. Yeah, I think it was right around then. Right. But anyway, yeah. So so that's how that's how my trip started. I said okay, and then so all these people down at Blackburn, people from Chicago. And uh, people that we in Africa for the first time, so everybody's out there kissing the ground. Africa, we in Africa. They kissing the homeland, the motherland. And sunrise, you know, we get out with the band and we go off. They take us to our housing, and we rehearse. And we we excited because we're getting ready to play Africa. And uh, they had a they had a the Festac Village in a Papa Beach, which was right outside of Lagos, around a Papa Beach. And there was like a Festac Village, and so they had a one compound was the United States compound. Then next to that was the Brazilian compound. Then next to that was the Cuban compound. Then the compound from Mali. And this was a village. So if you w- walked around this whole thing, you would see people from throughout the diaspora all the way to Australia. So every day I'd walk around the compounds and check out the different people. So this is, you know, because this is the coming together of all these African people throughout the world. And we, we were, you know, we were hyped. We were getting ready to play. And we sometimes bought some new uniforms. And we played one night. We played and... Uh, we had these new space. We had some new uh, lid. We call the space just your lid was your hat. You know, so we had some. He had these these little pyramid hats made out of with like Sunrise was real efficient. That way, he probably got some aluminum foil and puts it on some cardboard or something like that. And then we had some real new new uniforms, and we sat down there and like five thousand Africans coming to see this at nighttime because it's a festival. So we we had a thing, and Sunrise has a thing called the Space Cord. 
And for musicians who don't, the space chord is just a collage of different sounds. It's an open thing. You're just playing and you're listening. It's very important that you listen to what other things going on and, you, and it's just real organic and it's called space chord and it just creates this great collage. It can be an intense space chord, it can be a mellow space chord, but it's, it's, a, it's just independent kind of uh, collective improvisation and stuff. And so we started the space chord and we started the space chord and we space chord and we space chord and you know, space chord, it gets organic. So the improvisation, it went on, it went on, it went on for a while and we just like got into it for like maybe about an hour and and a half, and this first time in Africa. But we was so excited. He just stayed in the space chord. We didn't go into any of the any of the metric music or nothing. We stayed in the chord. He just like we stayed in the space chord, you know, because of his old concept about Egyptology and the openings of of the, of, of of the sounds. And so we played the space chord, and it went dark, and people were in there. And then the lights went up because we finished about an hour and. 15 minutes of space chord, and it was maybe like 10 people in the play. <laughs> we had ran out about 4,500 Africans, just ran them out. <laughs> we just ran them out. And so we went back to the compound that night, and Sunrise was kind of embarrassed in the sense he went to his room. He didn't, he didn't come out the next day, and everybody said, yeah, y'all just ran all, everybody out there was playing that music y'all was playing, and you know, just playing. I'll say this, though. I bet those 10 people... <laughs> made up for the other 4,500. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a big gap. Like, all of a sudden, like, you come and it's like everybody yeah. done walked out on you. You know, you yeah. know, everybody, you know, just, what, what, what happened? He walked out. They said, Ooh. So Sunrise was kind of, he was kind of taken back by that. And he hid out in his room for that day and stuff. But this didn't tell you how the brilliance of this person yeah. was. So he said, okay, okay. So we had, a, we had another, we had to play it like a night or two later. And so, uh, then he, I remember he got up and we walked around. And we, then he said we walked around different, uh, the around around the compounds, the different compounds. And so, this time, he, what he did was he got different percussionists from each one of the compounds. The entire sound, these these all different percussionists, different percussionists. And uh, so the next night we played same thing. We had the same uniforms on. And this, you have to understand, this is alien. We're in Africa and they come in to see what quote what they talk about well this great jazz band and they're coming to see this and they have this whole the program and so they they, they their mind is what coming well, we're coming to see this and it was something that they had never heard of so they was like it was alien plus we're sitting down there's not a lot of pulse coming out of this thing it's just like it's totally it's like warp nine we're in warp nine <laughs> <laughs> and so so he said okay so he took these percussionists from Cuba Brazil, all these different countries, and later, and he said, y'all just, he had them lay down a, 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 a rhythm and a groove. He just let them lay it down, and they just laid it down. And then we played the same space chord, the wow. same space chord. Uh-huh. He said, the same space chord, we said he just wanted the space chord. He didn't play any of the metric, because he could have played the Fletcher Henders, he could have right. done right. He, he, so many things, like you just heard the space in the place, he didn't play any of that. He just let them drummers, they just started Going and then Jackson, James Jackson, the great bassoonist and uh, Infinity drum players, he got with the drummers and he had Cheryl and they were out there dancing and all this stuff. But then he just gave the band and uh, this whole thing, he, we played the same space chord just for a long period of time. And this whole thing about uh, gesture conduction, which uh, we yeah. which we, we know affiliate a lot with Butch Morris, but sure. Sunrise had been doing that before that because Sunrise would get in front of the band and he'd point to you and he'd 
do a rhythm like tat-tat-tat-tat-tat. You, you followed his hand signals. And we just did this, and but the rhythm was on this thing so hard up underneath this thing, and then people like lost their minds. The same groove. So that that I got a great lesson from him. I said, okay, you have to just check out who you with. And you know, and the people just really had a beautiful time. The people were going crazy. The people were going crazy. And he felt a lot better. He felt a lot better. And uh that was that was a lesson wow. for me. That was a yeah. lesson. That was a lesson. The same space yeah. chord, yeah, but because he could have he had that whole the library we were talking right. about. He could have said, "Well, you know, let me play it safe." Yeah, he could have played. Uh, he has a great composition called Watusi, or he could have played uh, "Love in Outer Space," which is like a six eight kind of rhythm. That's chick 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 yeah. chick 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 it, and just no. He chose to stretch it out, and but he just put the rhythm up under it. And uh, it was a, a glorious evening. It was, yeah. it was just a glorious evening. Oh, man. And that time, you know, I was drunk every day. And I'm not even a drinker, but <laughs> the thing was, in, in Africa, you had to watch the water that you drank. Yeah. You, know, you know, so I drank red, everybody drank red stripe beer and palm wine. Uh-huh. <laughs> and palm wine. And, I, and also at the same time, we're in Lagos, Nigeria. And you know who's in Lagos? Festac. I mean, Festac. Fela. Fela Ransom Kuti. I got. I want to just let people know if you're tuning in in the middle of this, this is magnificent. Craig Harris is our guest, and uh, you just took us to Africa. Right, right. My, 19- my first time, 1977, <laughs> oh, January with Sunra. With Sunra. With Sunra. With Sunra. And Sunra is the topic of the deep right. focus tonight. Craig is here, very generously sharing yourself here. We're at WKCR FM New York and WKCR HD1 and WKCR.org. And uh, Craig, you're also hosting a fantastic Tuesday afternoon concert series. I want to ask you about that. But I, I took you out of your groove. You were yeah, and I'm about gonna, yeah, to launch into another favorite topic of mine, <laughs> Fela Kuti. Fela Kuti. And uh, I got, I've never heard this story from you. So, uh, okay. So it's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just like, you know, we're in Festac. I'm 21 years old. We're in Lagos, Nigeria. And, uh, you know, Sun Ra was a disciplinarian. He believed in discipline with his bands. He believed in discipline, and for good reasons, because, you know, a lot of times a lot of musicians lead into very destructive lifestyles. And he had grew up, and he saw a lot of that, and he tried to just, like, always focus you to kind of stay, to stay away from those different kind of lifestyles. And uh, we're playing, you know, we played, and after the victorious thing where we played the rhythm, and then, you know, every night, Fela was playing at the Shrine. And for people who don't know, the Shrine was a Fela Ransom Kuti's club where they played every night. It was some of the greatest music in the world came out of this place. And they were playing every night. They were playing, and they would start like 11 o'clock, 12, and go to the morning just playing. And I'm on, remember, the non-drinking Craig Harris was on palm wine and Red Star beer because I didn't want to get dysentery from the water. So we just like, and then, so we rehearsing, and we got one more game. And then Sunrise said, I don't want any of my band members to go to the shrine mm-hmm. because uh, Fela was speaking out very public against, he had all of these uh, people from around the world, he had a you know he had an international audience. So he, every night he was he would play, but he would be sp- very provocative conversations about the government and, and the corruption and what was going on in Nigeria. And he was like firing it up every night. And then this was if you if you don't know about this, I mean, it's one thing to say making political speeches and uh, but to do this at that time in Nigeria, the stakes were extraordinarily high and Fela paid a 
very, very high price. Very high price. And, and it's, it was, it's, this is life and death. Right. I mean, in a very more real way than most people would understand from right. what politics means in this country. Right. But uh, And, you know, and, and Broad Street is like the main street. It's like 125th Street. It's like Broadway. I remember we walked down Broad Street. And one time I saw this guy, he obviously had stole something. And these, like, 10 troops got on him. And they had these, like, cattle prod. They beat this man almost to death right out there. So I was going to go, oh, you know, you can't be that. And my, the guy with me said, Craig, you need to leave those people alone. And you need to stay out of that because... You don't know nothing about that, and you need to go over there and play that trombone <laughs> and stay out of that because you don't know nothing about it. Because it was a military state at that time. And, and, and in fact, uh, I remember, I forgot, General uh, Abu Saj, I forgot his name. I'm sorry, I missed, he's a general. He was running the country then. And he told all the people that came there for Africa, it's nice that you're coming home to the homeland, but don't come here thinking this is just, you, if you don't have any skills or you don't want to work, you're going back to America. He was very, you know, so we got the mandate from the chief. Sunrise was like, I don't want any of my band members going over to Shrine. I want y'all, you know, over there. And so, like, I'm in Shrine, you're going to stop? Lagos, 1970. <laughs> so me and uh, 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 his name shall remain <laughs> anonymous, a French horn player. A certain. A certain French horn player who I talked about later, who early, named Vincent, oh, Vincent Chancey. We went to the Shrine. You know, we went to the shrine. I went to the shrine. I went to the shrine. Every night I would go to the shrine while we were there. We were there about two, two and a half weeks and just sit up there and watch Fela and them hit that groove hardcore. That, that was an incredible band, and it, was, it gave me a whole sense of what music in your community is supposed to be about because Fela lived right around the corner from the shrine. He could hear the band warm up. He'd probably be in the bathtub, okay, they play, and he'd warm, and he'd just walk around there, or whatever, and he would be at the shrine. He was just, he was very close. And... Uh, I remember we went to rehearsal the next day. Uh, Sonora said that uh, I heard a couple of my band members was at the shrine. And I said, yeah, I wonder who they was, Sonny. I, <laughs> I didn't know anything. <laughs> and uh, did uh, Now I have to ask, did you meet Fela? Did you play? No, did I didn't know. You couldn't, I, I didn't play. I didn't play. I just went every night and hung out and just, just got into the vibe and really got that sense of what music in the community is about. And... Uh, it was uh, a, a great trip. Lester Bowie went on later years, and, yeah, and he lived yeah. with Fela. And you know, when you have things in life that you think about, I think about, you know, maybe I should have stayed in Nigeria and just stayed there for a while, back at that time. You know, or I think I maybe, sometime I think I should have stayed in Paris and, and not come home in 1976, just to see what it was. But I didn't have that sense of venture. I was very, I, I don't know, I guess I'm a family person. I have a big, big family. I wanted to come back home. But uh, those those are kind of those are kind of regrets. I said, well, maybe because I, I didn't have to come back, I could have just stayed there and just checked out the scene. But, but you were there. That was, that was, that was true. <laughs> I mean, you tell a story like that and say you didn't have a right. sense of. And it was a whole thing. It was a beautiful thing, and I met a lot of the, the players uh, from uh, California, the saxophone players. It's a, a great group of people. We I just met Jeff Donaldson, a lot of visual artists, just a lot of people were there. Stevie Wonder performed. It was a great thing that Festac. Which they haven't been able really to duplicate since. In fact, and on the, I remember the marching at the end of the festival. You know, they have this thing where they uh, you march around the stadium like at the Olympics. They yeah, do the thing, yeah. the closing ceremony. So the closing ceremony, I remember that was the funniest thing. The closing ceremony, we were getting ready to march, and the United States contingent said they wanted to march with the red, black, and green. 
red, black, and green flag. So they were going to march, and we was marching. And the government, you know, being that the United States government had helped funded the thing, there was a guy from the Nigerian State Department said, no, you can't. You have to use the red, white, and blue. And and he's going to tell us what flag to be like. That was the funny <laughs> thing. And he, you see this Nigerian guy running with the red, the red, the red white, and blue, and, the, and they got the red, the green, red, black, and green. For people who know what the red, black, and green, it's the, it's the flag that was associated with uh, – African-Americans, a liberation flag. And uh, through Marcus Garvey, uh, when uh, somebody had insulted him, y'all don't even have a flag or something like You know, it's a great thing, the red, black, and green flag. And it was funny, and it was like you got a, you got an African trying to take the flag right. away from another African and say, no, you march with this flag. This is your, you match me march with this. It was a great experience. And then we came back. But that sense of uh, thing, Sunrise had a manager named Richard Wilkinson who lived in Harlem. Well, I happened to live in Harlem, you know, and I had, and that's how I got to Harlem because I used to go to get paid or meet Sun Ra up at the St. Nicholas Projects on 132nd Street because he, he would be at Richard's house all the time. So I started spending a lot of time uptown. And, you know, Sun Ra had this whole uh, history with Harlem with the black arts movement with Amiri Barak in the 60s where he used to march up and down 160, 125th Street with the parades to Harlem. And... Uh, he, he would also teach. I, I met a couple of my friends at the Y. He would teach chess, and he would teach his method, methodology. He was very. He was a teacher, and uh, but he's also one of the most astute uh, entrepreneurs that I knew. And Richard and I remember when we, just to get out of Nigeria when we went to the uh, airport, we were overweight. You are listening to a deep focus from June of 2008. Craig Harris. Fantastic trombonist, conceptualist, band leader Craig Harris in the studio with me talking about, well, you heard his experiences with Sun Ra. And he also talks various places in this program about uh, these gigs that are coming up. They were coming up in 2015, but he's still got a ton of really cool stuff he's doing. A lot of it overlapping with the things he's talking about in this program from six years before. And uh, absolutely, if you're in New York, you have the opportunity. You should 1,000% come out and hear what he's doing. Take these tours of Harlem, those website addresses you'll hear, all still current. And anything, any opportunity you have, you can hear how much fun I'm having hanging out with Craig Harris. Any chance you get to be with him or his music, do take it. Craig, I think it's CraigSHarris.com. You'll hear him say, uh, you can, uh, if you're not subscribed to the show, gee, what are you waiting for? You're missing out. You should subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also uh, always find us on our hosting site, which is MitchGoldman.Podbean.com. You can follow us on Instagram and get uh, photos of these folks and get in touch with me and everything there. What else? If you like the show, let somebody know. You could tell a friend or you could just post it on your uh, on your podcasting app. You just give us some clicks and likes and stuff. And what that's going to do is it's going to help Deep Focus float up to the surface for somebody who doesn't know about the show but might enjoy it. So uh, all we ask, I don't want money. I uh, just hope you enjoy the show, and if you do, do what you can to spread the word. That's that's payment enough. That's given a lot back, actually. We really do appreciate it. Okay, so this was part one. There's three parts. Go 
and seek out and find part two and enjoy. It's Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman.